just got a little drizzle last night. What did we get, Linda? Four and a half inches. Yeah. Four and a half inches. Goldie, you didn't get that much, did you? Inch and eight tenths. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, it started out pretty nice, I mean, as far as uh, steady rain, and then during the night I heard that it was really coming down. So, so yeah, it was, uh, I guess <laughs> my stupid mind turns things around, and I thought, okay, God's probably saying, okay, you're whining, you don't have any rain, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but... We'll take it. Well, okay. Uh, I think today is ice cream day, isn't it, Tina? Yeah. So after church, there's going to be ice cream in celebration of Tina's birthday. She turned 30, so Doug said that he's going to have ice cream here. So right after worship, we're going to have ice cream. So that's something to look forward to. All right. Uh, I don't think I have any other announcements to make. Uh, we have some more. We have some updates and individuals that we'll address in a little bit. But right now, I think we're in good shape. We have a hymn to sing, ladies and gentlemen, Whiter Than Snow, number 436. Let's stand and sing number 436. I guess it's going to rain again. I knew the days were getting shorter, but. By golly, here we are. This is the 2nd of August. And I am on. Am, am I on, Dave? Okay. In five months, Christmas will be over. Well, anyhow, we're going to look at our joys and concerns. I don't know if any of you realize it, but Mary Kettering had a, a problem over, when was it, uh, Monday, and uh, Bill sent along an, a, an update through Pastor Ryan, through Nancy and Joel, okay, oh yes, okay, I, now I recognize the writing, okay, uh, and I'll just read it to you, she said, uh, Mary is doing well, she's a little weak and confused, she's able to hold conversations and speak and understands what is going on able to eat meals again. They are planning to move her back to Londonderry Village Monday, probably Leffler, but they're not sure. And that's from Bill. Uh, from what I understand, from what Christine told me, uh, they found Mary unresponsive, and they rushed her to the hospital and uh, put all sorts of tubes and attachments to her and so forth. And when they removed all started removing all that stuff, she came around and uh, was improving every sense. So praise God for miracles. So 101 years old, wow. So I don't know if you have anything more to add to that, Christine. Okay. Okay. Did you... Did you See her? I guess you can't. Nobody can go. Yeah. I guess Bill and the other kids were 
able to see her. Uh, they don't let a lot of people go into the hospital yet. So, uh, well, we'll just keep praying for Mary, and hopefully she will return to her good health. So, we'll see. Christine, do you have any other updates, though? Okay. Yes, through all the prayer chain calling on Monday for Mary, and then Nancy called me back again about the update on Tuesday about Mary. And um, then I called Eleanor, and I don't know, do you want to share Eleanor, or do you want me to say? Okay. Uh, calling Eleanor. She said, Christine, we need prayer very much right now. Something terrible happened. This was Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't know what time, but I know it was late in the afternoon. And uh, there was a farm accident. Ty was on the tractor mowing. And uh, TJ, his son, and this boy, Michael Yegley, who is, was 24 years old, they were coming out to give Ty something to drink. And Michael jumped on the tractor before Ty even got it stopped. When he did, he slipped and fell, and he was killed. So tragic, tragic accident. Of course, they called Pastor Ryan, who responded, thank you, to help the family. And Eleanor and I have talked twice already since, and even last night, and... Uh, Lots of things are happening there on the farm. Like Eleanor said to me, Christine, why are all these kids coming here all the time? We get all these kids. And I started to think about this and praying, and I thought, wow, I think they're finding a safe haven there. They're finding a place where they can go, and people are listening. They're sharing the Lord. And Stanley and Eleanor do this. Stanley very much does. And shared with the Lord with this boy. And found out through that that feel the boy was saved uh, and knew the Lord. He was an impulsive guy. He couldn't quite make the right judgments when he should. And who knows through this happening. But, but to me, I'm seeing what Eleanor is telling me of these young people coming and sharing to the point where T.J., said, let's all get together and pray. And TJ prayed with them. Okay, it's just bringing out the love and showing God. And I just feel there's love there at that place. And these people feel it. And they, they want to be there and share. It's a place they can go. And I just feel... What a blessing. What a blessing. Even though a tragic thing happened, there's things coming out that the Lord is being shared. And thank the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I talked to Linda and Jim Dobb, well, Linda especially, because I called their anniversaries on Tuesday. So I called and sang an anniversary, happy anniversary tour. And then she said, I said, how, how are things going with you two? And then she said, well, much better. Put me, you can put me on praises. I just put her on the prayer guide. She said, my, 
I was given an antibiotic. My toes are really doing well. Put me on praises. I'm doing really good. And Jim is better. Things aren't all right yet, but he's having trouble with the nerves and things too in parts of his body. But uh, through the prayer chain, talking to so many people, I talk to lots. <laughs> and we share a lot of different things. And it, it's, that's what the prayer guard guide's about. It is sharing, and it, it, it is a ministry through for all of us. And I praise the Lord for that. What else? Donna, let me get back there. Oh, can't get across there. have to <laughs> come around the end. I received a thank you card from my friend, um, Linda, who her son had passed away from cancer. And um, Tina was kind enough to send the prayer shawl uh, from the church to her. And uh, she wrote, thank you so much for the prayer shawl. I will always treasure it and uh, our thankfulness and kindness. That's nice. That's nice. That's such a good minute. You'll notice that Joel and Nancy are not here this morning. Joel's going to have Corporal Tunnel. Are they in the back? Oh, there they are up there, up there in the high place. Hi, guys. Joel's going to have surgery. When, Joel? Tomorrow? Monday? He didn't ask me to help. But anyhow, so uh, he's... he's uh, Quarantining. He's staying away from everybody so that he uh, doesn't have any problems with the surgery. So that's why they're up there enjoying the heat in the balcony. So uh, it's good to have you here, but you're sort of removed from the gang. So, But uh, we'll pray for them also. And uh, not only pray for Joel, but pray for Nancy that she'll be able to put up with Joel after he comes back from his surgery. So... All right. Let's come before the Lord with our prayers. Heavenly Father, you are the one that we turn to when we have situations such as tragic accidents, deaths, and we also should turn to you when we have joys. You like to hear all of our concerns and all of our joys, and thank you for that. Thank you that you don't turn a deaf ear to us, that you're always available, that you're always there. And we thank you particularly for Mary's turnaround. She's a pillar of this congregation, Lord. Although she's not here with us, we always are concerned for Mary, and we're always cheered to know that she's doing well. So we pray that you will give her health, Lord. Mary's a tough old bird, and we, we love her for that. And she is a believer, and she knows who her Savior is. There's no doubt about it. Lord, we thank you for individuals who are, are experiencing other health improvements, Linda, and Jim Dobb, 
Thank you for their improvements, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for hearing their prayers and letting us know that prayers work. And we pray a special blessing on, on uh, Michael and his family. Such a tragic situation, Lord, but there is hope and faith that Michael knew you. Thank you, Lord, for the long family that they are receptive to these young people who pass through them, through their family. Lord, what a blessing to have somebody who cares, somebody who will touch them and talk to them about you. Thank you, Lord. That is wonderful. That they are, they are persevering, as we were talking about in Sunday school. And they're using the wisdom that you give them to help individuals. Thank you, Lord. Lord, so many things to, to pray about, so many situations here in our own congregation, and so many things to pray about in our community, our country. Lord, we know that this country has to have a revival, has to come back to you. There's no doubt about it. The only way we're going to survive the situation that we're experiencing now is to have a renewed faith in you. Lord, please have that happen. Turn this situation around through belief in you and, and your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we also pray for Christians throughout the world who are experiencing oppression. We think especially of our friends and our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. Lord, we have no idea what they're experiencing. We read about it, we hear about it, but we've never experienced that. Stand with them, Lord. Improve their faith. Have them strong and courageous in their faith with you. Thank you, Lord. We also pray for our leaders, Lord. Let them see the light. Let them fall upon you. And let them follow your guidance. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, we pray for continual guidance for this congregation, for this church. We thank you for our pastors, Sandy and Ryan. Bless them. Thank you for their leadership. And thank you for Jesus Christ's leadership, which we depend solely on. Thank you, Lord. In his name we pray these things, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's uh, our time in our board. Boy, I tell you, I can't get this to work here. Okay, there. Okay. Well, as um, Christine said on Wednesday, Amy called and to say that there had been a tragic accident on um, Stanley and Eleanor's farm, and a young man had lost his life in an accident with a tractor. And she asked if I would come over and spend time with the family. And you know, as I sat there listening, I heard the story of what had happened from several different perspectives: who was involved, how the accident occurred. 
what the immediate response was from those uh, who were there at the scene and who witnessed the accident. And, and then I learned that that young man's father had to be notified and someone had to carry that responsibility. And then upon arriving at the scene and having learned just minutes before that, I believe it was his only son. Yes? There was another one, okay. But in any event, one of his sons um, was killed. Just learning that minutes before, that young man's father did something that I thought was just remarkable. He walked over to Ty, hugged him, and said, this was not your fault. It was simply a tragic accident. And that young man's father could have demanded justice for his son, but instead he offered mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Lord, we can't express in words our gratitude to you for sustaining us, for the gift of life, and also for the gift of eternal life. As I heard the stories of Michael's love for your word, willingness to share your word, Lord, we know that he is in your presence and that he continues to live. As Paul says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We have a hope. It is in you, Lord Jesus, and so we thank you for the hope that you have given us and the mercy that you have extended to us. We ask that you would meet us here this morning as we approach your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so we do talk a lot about mercy and justice. And um, well, let me, just, let me just stop here for a second. I did, if you notice in your bulletin, I have, this is what's called a book chart. Um, the book of Jonah is great um, because it's small. And so you can read it quickly and easily in several sittings, and you can develop your own book chart. This is my own book chart of just a way for me to understand the message of the book of Jonah. And so I included this in the bulletin in case any of you want to follow along with the sermon this morning. So, um, and we're going to be reading the entire book of Jonah. Um, so if you would like to open to um, the book of Jonah, you're more than welcome to. And I'll start here before we get into Jonah. But as I said, we talk a lot about mercy and justice. And we all want mercy and justice. That is when we are the recipients of mercy and others are the recipients of justice. In other words, we like mercy when it falls on us and we like justice when it falls on others. But how do we feel about mercy that falls on those whom we do not believe are deserving of it? And that's one of the main ideas in the book of Jonah, and it's what we're going to be talking about today. Before I get into that, I want to talk about the historical setting that sits behind the book of Jonah, because it's important for us to understand it. And by the time that Jonah had come on the scene, the nation of Israel had already been divided for approximately 150 years into a northern and southern kingdom. And Jonah lived under the reign of Jeroboam II, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with in Second Kings. 
chapter 14. Now the city of Nineveh does appear quite a bit in the Bible. We read in Genesis 10 that it was founded and built by Nimrod, who was described as a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that phrase, a mighty hunter before the Lord, is best understood as being a plunderer or a conqueror before the eyes of the Lord. And that word before indicates a separation, a separation from God, but his actions were visible to God. And so a conquering and plundering spirit was at work in the building of Nimrod, and he put that spirit to work in the building of cities. Nineveh was one of the cities that he built, and it happened to become the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And now the Assyrian Empire was a militaristic society, and the king's primary role in this empire was to conduct war for the benefit of the false god Assur and for the empire. And so they were a bloodthirsty people. The book of Nahum says in chapter 3, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. And all for the countless whorings of the prostitute. This is the false god, Asser, that's being referenced here. Graceful and full of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. And so the economy of the Assyrian Empire revolved around war. That was what their trade was about. Weapons, furnishing supplies, everything that was done was for the massive war machine. The Assyrians operated on terror. In the words of one secular historian who I was studying this, uh, he wrote a, a massive book on, on uh, the ancient Near East, and I was studying his work, and he says that the Assyrians operated by calculated frightfulness. And what he means is that the Assyrians counted on their reputation when seeking to conquer a people and their lands. And so when approaching a city, the Assyrians would attack the most vulnerable to convince the rest to surrender. They sought to instill fear. And so you might say, well, they were terrorists, and I think that's a good description. When a city was conquered, the inhabitants of that city were tortured, raped, beheaded, and flayed so that their corpses, heads, or even skins could be either publicly displayed or worse, worn by the Assyrian soldiers. And in what is surely a shocking act of depravity, the Assyrians were known for ripping unborn children from their mother's wombs while the mother was still alive. And so it seems clear that the same conquering and plundering spirit that was at work within Nimrod in Genesis 10 was still alive and well in the city of Nineveh. And so with that background knowledge, we can begin to study the book of Jonah. It was to the capital city of this Assyrian empire, Nineveh, that Jonah was commanded to go to by God. And again, as you noticed on your handouts, there are several themes that emerge from the book of Jonah that are important for us today. And I wrote down at the top that the overall purpose of the book of Jonah, in my estimation, is to teach that God is the Lord of heaven and earth and all that is in them. 
Thus no one can escape his reach. But he is long-suffering and quick to relent of his wrath on the ones who are repenting of their sins and turning to him, even the ones outside of ethnic Israel. And so let's begin by reading chapter 1 together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And so here we have the first two instances of the themes of rebellion. The Ninevites were in rebellion against God by doing evil, and Jonah rebelled against the call of the Lord. The Lord had commanded Jonah to go and preach repentance to the Ninevites, but he rebelled against that call. Verse 4, but the, Lord, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? I, I, I laugh at that translation. I think what the guy is probably saying is, What are you doing? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so here we have the third instance of rebellion against God. The sailors rebelled against God by worshiping false gods and calling out to those false gods from the midst of this great calamity that was a storm at sea. Chapter 7, or excuse me, verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what, what is this that you have done? But the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord. This is the Lord God of heaven. O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so here we have our first instance of the theme of repentance. Notice what the sailors did. The sailors repented of their rebellion against the Lord and cried out to him for salvation from the midst of this impending destruction, this tempestuous sea. Scripture says that those sailors feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to him and made vows to the Lord. 
And so we also see the first instance of relenting. Notice how the Lord, that's on the second page, on the back side. Notice how the Lord responded to the repentance of the sailors. Scripture says that the sea ceased from its raging. It was God who caused the sea to rage, and it was God who caused the sea to cease from its raging. Chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And so here is the second instance of repentance. Jonah called out to the Lord. In other words, Jonah cried out to God for salvation from the midst of impending destruction. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so here again is this second instance of God relenting. The Lord heard the prayer of Jonah from the midst of a great fish, relented and redeemed Jonah from the midst of impending destruction. Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in a breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. Turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. And so here is the third instance of both repentance on the part of the people 
of Nineveh and God relenting of the impending destruction on them. The Lord saw the humility of the Ninevites, relented and redeemed the Ninevites from the midst of impending destruction. And the key verse of the book of Jonah is found in chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord is the author of salvation. He is merciful and slow to anger and redeems those who turn to Him in faith. And we see this repeated three times. First, the Lord heard the cry of the sailors, relented and redeemed those sailors from the midst of impending destruction that was a raging sea. Secondly, the Lord heard the cry of Jonah, relented and redeemed Jonah from the midst of impending destruction that was the belly of a great fish. Thirdly, the Lord heard the cry of the Ninevites and saw their humility, relented and redeemed the Ninevites from the midst of impending destruction that was his wrath against them. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made a haste to flee for Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And so what is the message of the book of Jonah? Well, I think there are two. According to the ancient church father Augustine and the reformer Martin Luther, two very prominent men in the history of the church, the message of the book of Jonah is the missionary heart of God. In other words, the message of the book of Jonah is the love and mercy that is not limited, the love and mercy of God that is not limited to the Jewish people, but rather is for all people, all persons who will repent and turn to him. And so if you look on the back page, if you look at the circles on the handout, you'll see this in a picture form. 
that salvation is in God alone, and it begins with ethnic Israel, and it's extending to all persons, Gentile nations. And I think this understanding of the book of Jonah aligns well with the New Testament as we see the love and mercy of God being extended to us Gentiles. The repentance of Ninevites is applauded by Jesus in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. Jesus says that the Ninevites were to be commended for their actions, their actions of repentance. And the word of the Lord came to them and they responded by humbling themselves and repenting. In other words, they turned to the Lord for salvation. And I think the second message of the book of Jonah builds off of that first message. Because God is a loving and merciful God who extends mercy to those who will humble themselves before Him, we need to be careful that we do not become the type of people who are willing to receive mercy for ourselves while expecting justice to be dished out to others. And that seems to be the problem with Jonah. Jonah was rescued from the fish and was the recipient of shade from the hot sun. Both of those actions were from God. Jonah had no problem receiving those acts of mercy from God. But Jonah expected divine justice for his enemies. Do you do well to be angry for the plant, God said? You see, God pitied the Ninevites but destroyed the plant, while Jonah pitied the plant but the man of the destruction of Nineveh. Jonah is like the person who sees God's mercy and justice as functioning for his or her own convenience. Mercy for me, but justice for my enemies. But as the book says, salvation belongs to the Lord. I think Jesus says something very similar in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. If you want to turn there with me, you can. It's a familiar parable that I think many of you will recognize. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Chapter 18, 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of, may, of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. To put that in perspective, this is a debt that is, we, we would say, a hundred million billion trillion dollars. An amount that is just unfathomable. There's no way this man can ever pay this debt back. That's what the, the emphasis here is. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Again, this is a debt that is unimaginable. There's no way this man can pay him back. This master forgave him this debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There seems to be a similar theme here in this parable in the book of Jonah. The wicked servant was more than willing to receive mercy, but was not willing to extend that same mercy to others. Instead, he demanded justice for others. I can't say that I'm happy with all of the decisions that are being made in our government. I can't say that I'm pleased with some of our leaders. I hear of some of the struggles of small business owners, farmers, many others who have been affected by restrictions that have been imposed. And my tendency is to want justice now. Immediate justice on those who I think are wronging others. In that way, I'm just like Jonah. I'm just like that wicked servant that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18. I'm sure willing to receive mercy from God and praise Him for the mercies that I receive every morning while wanting justice to fall on others. Now, this doesn't mean that we're automatically wrong for wanting justice. Justice is surely going to happen. The Lord tells us that, just not yet. We live in the age of grace and mercy. God, who is long-suffering, is gathering His people to Himself this very day. In other words, for right now, the doors are open to anyone who would repent and come to Him. And so, as long as we are on this earth, we too must extend grace and mercy to others in the hope that they too will repent and turn to Christ. Justice will be done when the Lord returns with all His glory. I know that you all are aware of this, but it's worth saying again that mercy is an act of power. I think that's something that, particularly men, we have to remind ourselves that mercy is an act of power. The merciful act of Christ on the cross is the most powerful act in the history of mankind. Those who extend mercy are powerful. And so how do we apply this message of Jonah to our lives? Well, just like Jonah, as I said, we can be guilty of wanting justice to fall on those whom we think are undeserving of God's grace and mercy. Perhaps you have been angered by some of the recent events in our nations, in our nation. Perhaps you have become angry with some of our leaders or with others in our communities. I would just say be careful that you don't find yourself being the type of person who's willing to receive mercy while expecting justice to fall on others. We need to acknowledge the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord. We have not been saved by our own righteousness, but rather because of the righteousness of Christ. In other words, we've been given mercy when what we really deserve is justice. In other words, we have, excuse me, in other words, as a result, we need to be a people that reflects this same mercy to others, even to the ones whom we don't think are deserving of mercy. And that's not easy, which is precisely why mercy is an act of strength. 
strength in Christ, not weakness. And lastly, we need to recognize where we are at in this timeline of salvation history. As I said just a moment ago, right now we are living in the age of grace. What this means is that God has graciously bestowed upon all persons, the entire world, it says in John chapter 1, the light came into the world. God has graciously bestowed upon the entire world mercy and salvation through the Son, Jesus Christ. All those who would turn to Him in repentance shall experience the salvation that God offers. Justice will come when He returns. It will come when He returns to establish His kingdom in the last days. And so as we go forward here from, or excuse me, as we go forward from here today, we're called to be a people that reflects the grace and mercy that we have received undeservedly from the author of salvation, for salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here this morning. It is a privilege and an honor to be called into your kingdom. Father, we will never be able to repay the debt that you have paid for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the grace and mercy that you have given us. We ask that you would help us to extend grace and mercy to those in this world so that we might lead them to the truth of your gospel. I pray that you would carry this congregation into your coming kingdom. We look forward to the day when you will bring justice, when you will right all wrongs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.